Psalms basically are the hymnal or the songbook of Israel, written 3,000 years ago, and they were always meant to be played with music. It was always meant to be accompanied by instruments, and sometimes it'll say a flute, and sometimes a uh, um, stringed instruments. Uh, it even talks, uh, some of the names you'll, we'll see at the beginning um, will say uh, the, the beat, you know, strike the instrument hard, so the beat's supposed to be something that's part of it. And So that David was a... Um, uh, one of the psalm writers, they are comfort and encouragement uh, to everyone who's seeking refuge in God, you know, despite their circumstances. And um, often speaking that God will judge the heathen nations or the Gentiles in defense of Israel, but also declaring that the goi or goim in Psalm 22, verse 27, 28, all kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. Gentile believers, that's you and me, and that's through the finished work of Jesus Christ and the blood of his cross. And I wanted to make a point of that. If you want to flip over to Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 11, speaking of the... Um, oh, that's the one. There it is. Okay. Um, Exactly this thing, you know, the Gentile believers joining together with the Jewish believers in uh, worshiping the Lord. In uh, Ephesians 2, verse 11 uh, through 22, we can read, uh, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at a time you were without, or at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the common wealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father, and now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Hallelujah. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so um, Psalm 22 invites us Gentiles. And um, so the Psalms also include prophecy concerning the Messiah and his kingdom, quoted in the New Testament, specifically in uh, uh, establishing Jesus Christ as the Son of God in the book of Hebrews and others. Uh, Peter citing uh, the rock which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone in Psalm, and that's from Psalm 118. Um, many psalms detail situations we can find ourselves in because of our, our own sin and failure, and then how to find refuge in God, and how to be reconciled to God, and, um, and find restoration, find refuge in him again. And it even defends against those who might afterwards seek to accuse. Um, defends against those that continue to accuse long after forgiveness and restoration. As part of the Psalms, as all, we'll see some of that. David crying out to the Lord, people chasing him down long after. Um, and uh, we know King David desired to glorify and worship God, certainly desired to build the temple, but was not allowed in being a man of war. But he still loved God, and he's known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Yeah, from Second Samuel 23.1, if you're taking notes. He wrote over 70 of the Psalms um, that we know of, uh, many of the Psalms are without um, uh, a writer being specified. Um, they're full of praises, thanksgiving, shouts of praise, dancing before the Lord uh, and worship, but also cries of desperation and pleading for God's mercy 
and, and help. The Psalms cover all the emotions in which we find ourselves in our walk with the Lord, and really just about every human emotion, joy and contentment, exultation, shouts of victory, sorrow, brokenness, fear, discouragement, struggles, desperation, loss of loved ones, sorrow, um, loss of loved ones, illness, loneliness, betrayal and abandonment. Uh, the application to us is abundant and fitting, you know, anything that we might be going through. So the Psalms are a great comfort for believers who long to know God more deeply and want to know his, his nature and character. And this becomes real to us when we go through trials and tribulations and hard times, and we, we can seek out the Lord in these things. Some of us have been very sick, and we find comfort in the Psalms. Some of us have lost loved ones, and we find comfort in the Psalms, in God's Word. Um, they're far more than just poems and stories. It's good to spend time in the Psalms and in conversation with the Lord. And besides David, some Psalms are written by Asaph and the sons of Korah, Moses, Solomon, Ethan, and others. Some 50 Psalms are known as orphans, they call them, and without a mention of a writer. So that's just a bit of an introduction into the Psalms. And so let's begin with Psalm 1. And let's read through it and then come back and, and talk a little bit about it. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm 1. So it starts out with blessed, or happy, um, and whenever that's spoken of, the Jews would tell you, any Jewish scholar would tell you, that's always with the knowledge that it's ongoing, blessings, plural, and it's from heaven, it's from above, it's from the vertical, not earthly surroundings, excuse me, or um, earthly provision, it's, uh, or I should say it's from the vertical, <laughs> and not from the earthly surroundings, or the earthly provision, or the horizontal. So where do we look for our happiness from? Uh, the, the blessedness. Uh, the blessings from God, whereas the unbeliever, you know, the unbelieving world would try to find this fulfillment and try and find this uh, blessing from their friends, maybe, or the, from their family, from their spouses, uh, from their job, maybe from their possessions or their health and their fitness, and, or even their social status these days. You know, wherever they try to find fulfillment and purpose in life, these are the, hor the horizontal things, these are the, the sideways things, these are the earthly things, the worldly things. The blessings that we're talking about here, the blessedness is from above, is known to be from the Lord. And God's blessings will certainly clearly be seen in our lives, you know, now. He provides for us, certainly, and he does bless us, and we're grateful for that. He gets the glory for that, right? All the things that we enjoy, um, Jesus also describing the blessings from above in Matthew 5. Let's turn there in the Sermon on the Mount. If you like, it's uh, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to just do the first, well, verses 3 through 12 or 3 through 11. Same idea, blessings from above. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. 
for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, where are these characteristics found as you read through this? You know, um, it's in the spirit, it's in the heart, it's in the inward parts. You know, where, where is it that we mourn? Isn't it in our hearts and deep down? And there might be, you know, paid for mourners that they used to have that would go out and, you know, be a public display of it. But truly, it's in the spirit, in the heart, in the inward parts, mourning. And where does meekness come from? You know, he's talking in, in uh, blessed are the, are the meek. Um, and those that hunger for righteousness, these are all inward things. These are all things that are in our hearts. These are all things dear to the Lord. Well, how does it play out here as he talks about these? How does it play out in their lives? You know, these are the ones that show mercy. These are the ones that make peace. These are the ones that take abuse for his name's sake. But where's their reward? In heaven, right? Verse 12. And so this is a, you know, rejoice, be exceedingly glad for your reward is in heaven. You know, these things. So um, the word now, we're going to be talking about this as, as Psalm 1 basically describes two ways um, is, the, is the overall view of it, and uh, as we saw in the last verse. But the word way is mentioned a lot, um, obviously, and we kind of know what it means, but it means road, uh, distance, it means the journey. Or just journey, I shouldn't say the journey. That gets misrepresented too often when it comes to our walk because it's so much more than a journey, really. But this word way means journey. Course of life, direction, manner, or habit. And the habit of moral character. And so he begins to uh, by declaring in verse 1 where not to go. The first thing he talks about is where not to go. Um, and the first thing is walks. Walk not. And the word walk is halak. Um, for if you're interested, uh, to come or go, proceed, move in a manner of life and cause to walk. And so we're talking more of a manner of life, not just how you go down the sidewalk. And uh, talks about nor stands uh, the guy who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Well, the counsel is a word called um, etzah, and it basically means advice, the plan, the prudence, the things people are prudent to follow on the purpose and proposals that they have. Ungodly means rasha, or the word is rasha, means wicked, criminal, guilty one. It's not just somebody who makes a mistake. It's somebody who's guilty and continuing in a crime. They're hostile towards God. They're guilty of sin against God or man. That word means that. And liable for punishment and actively a bad person in a nutshell. These are the ungodly. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. Um, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's all kinds of ungodly counsel, and I'm sure you're aware. But long before Phil Donahue and Oprah and Dr. Phil and the news media that we have, and maybe your unbelieving friends or your unbelieving family, they give you counsel, you know, family and household. The schools from the youngest age on, you know, going all the way up through the college are completely dedicated to social pressure and influence over uh, our kids from the youngest on, you know, to, and, they, and they're coerced, literally coerced into denying God's word and, and counsel. And these are the, the youth and, and all the way up, and they're, they're basically trying to deny, deny God's word and counsel these in ungodly ways. And these are going to tell you that it's okay to sin. You know, it's okay to covet. It's, there's nothing wrong with taking a life of an unborn child or have sex outside of marriage or with the same sex. It's okay to lie it's, and gossip. It's okay to slander and steal and disrespect your parents. That's, I mean, you look at the kids these days, you know, of the world, um, there, there's absolutely no respect for parents. Parents are stupid. And uh, as, as far as the kids are concerned today, um, and that is encouraged. And they want more than anything to be able to have the kids for themselves to take them down that road. This is the counsel of the world. This is the one that we don't want to walk in. Okay, so we'll, we'll look into that. Now, now the word, uh, the next one is, nor stands in the path of sinners. The word stand is amad. 
He sets oneself um, in that place, takes one stand, standing with attitude, presents oneself, attends upon it to stand there, be a, uh, to be or become servant of. And basically the idea, the literal word means amad, in other words, stop. That's where you stay. That's where you hang out. Um, you stop moving on from it uh, to tarry, to delay, remain, continue, abide, endure, persist, be steadfast, hold one's ground, rise, appear, uh, come on the scene to it. All these words basically are a part of this throughout scriptures, that same exact word, to cause to stand firm and establish in that way. So that's the stand where they're standing. And then we talked about the, the word path or the word way. It's a word derrick. And um, interesting how the Lord watches over the way of men and women. When you look into uh, the Lord watching over our ways in Genesis six twelve, God looked upon the earth before the flood. God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all felt flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. In Genesis 18, 19, regarding Abraham, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. In Psalm 25, there's a bunch of them. Um, we see his desire for our ways. Psalm 25, show me thy ways, O Lord, and teach me thy paths. Good and upright is, is the Lord, therefore we... Uh, Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. And what man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. And so, um, you know, nor stands in the path of sinners. Um, sinners are, the word chada in the Hebrew, exposed to condemnation, reckoned as offenders. It's a done deal. They're not those that are stumbling. Uh, we're all sinners, right? Um, we're all prone to wander. We're all destined to, to fail without the Lord. And, but these are the ones that continue in sin without shame. It's ongoing practicing their ungodly ways. Um, and then finally, these guys, uh, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The word sit and seat, uh, sit is yeshab and seat is moshab. Uh, to dwell, remain, abide, to be set, to stay to place, and to assemble with where they sit. Uh, the seat that they sit in is where they assemble, where they hang out, where they meet up. Um, dwelling place, where they keep company. They're in the same situation, location, position. But the scornful is an interesting word. It's lutz, to scorn, to make mouths at, and talk arrogantly, to boast, to mock, to deride, to inflate by mockery. Um, it progresses from one to the next. You know, as you look through this, walks in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It goes from one to the next. First, you're listening. The next thing, you're joining it. And before you know it, you're belonging to it. Does that remind you of anybody from the Old Testament? Isn't that what kind of happened with Lot? He goes down to Sodom, and at first he's camped outside the city, Next thing you know, he's moved into the city, and before long, he's at the gate, and people know him by name, and coming and going, everybody sees lots. So it's kind of that same kind of progression where you start uh, giving in. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits, or stands, I should say, in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That's the unbelieving world. That's their counsel. That's their path, or their way, or their position. That's where they walk and stand and abide. There's no negotiating with worldly wisdom and ungodly counsel. We're not going to be able to negotiate with that type of life, with that kind of wisdom, with that kind of, of ungodliness. Why is that no place for the believer? Well, we're in opposition to that. They're opposed to God. It's the exact opposite of God's word, right? It's against God's word. It's in complete contrast to God's word, these things, right? And so why would we go there? So a believer positions himself or herself in the light of God's word. And then here's the contrast in, in verse 2. And whenever you're going through the Psalms and really any scriptures you want to read, much is learned just by looking at the contrasts between what's being said. And so verse 2, 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And that delight is pleasure, longing, and desire. You know, if you find the word of God boring or tiresome, then what's, what's your delight? What are you delighting yourself in? You know, you have to wonder, because certainly we labor in the word, we study, and we want to know the Lord. In some, you know, areas of maybe Leviticus, or, or some are, are a little uh, bit of a, a thing to go through, trying to pronounce all those names. But what a delight to know that this is God's word. It's, it's living for us. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, that's what you can delight in. And, and if not, if it's tiresome, pray, draw close to the Lord. And the second part of verse 2, um, and in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, the word meditate is interesting. It means to moan or growl, utter or speak or muse, uh, to mutter or groan. Um, you know, not to, the, word, the world's definition of meditate is to, to sit and, you know, empty your mind to make some bland tone um, um, or something, and, and you're supposed to empty your mind. And it's sad, it's unfortunate, but um, even in the church where there is some that would practice what's quote-unquote called Christian yoga, and you, you're supposed to, when you're doing yoga, you're supposed to do these moves, and you're supposed to, to, to stretch and relax, and you're supposed to empty and chase out all the bad thoughts. And the idea is you're emptying your mind. Well, the meditation that's being talked about here is... Um, you know, not to make that, but some bland sound or end up on some astral plane or anything like that. They're actually opening themselves up to a spirit, and they call it the spirit guide uh, to nudge you along some path there. But biblical medication, meditation and medication is to fill your mind with the word of God and dwell on that, not to empty your mind. The word muse is interesting because, you know, uh, meditation there, muse, to think about, well, we all know what a muse is, right? It's the absence of thinking, right? So uh, you have the amusement park where you go to not think, and um, people will take advantage of you there, I guarantee you. Um, but um, nothing wrong with amusement parks. If any of you work at one, I'm sorry. Uh, that's picture really here for meditation is, is basically like a cow. A cow, she's going to go out in the morning and, and she's going to eat as much grass as she likes. And she's going to, you know, when she's comfortable, she'll go out when it gets a little warmer in the day and get out and lay down in her tree or stand in her tree and they're going to sit and ruminate on that, what they had for breakfast. And they're going to chew it. It's like cud. They're going to bring it up and they're going to chew on it and go over and over. That's the kind of meditation we're talking about. And it's so good to draw close to the Lord in the morning, isn't it? And, you know, maybe sometimes, I, I used to tell my daughter, nothing good happens after 9 o'clock at night. Everything good happens at 5 in the morning. That's where you draw close to the Lord. Your mind is fresh. You know, and uh, it's one of those things where, where it's, a, it's a blessing to be able to have a, you know, a fresh start on the day and um, get into God's word. How blessed it is, how pleasant it is to have time in the morning to get into God's word. And then you sit and you can think about it throughout the day. You bring it to memory. You know, Verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Like a tree is interesting. You think about trees. Um, the only thing they need are water and sunlight. Some, and soil, you know. Uh, but they provide everything else. I mean, think of what the trees, first of all, shade, fruit, leaves for healing, uh, food for animals, uh, wood for building, and wood for burning for warmth. Warmth, ultimately created by God to show his glory and provision, but planted by the Lord, it says, close to the water, uh, planted by the rivers or channels um, under, underwater underground water, uh, where the roots go down and drink freely and be nourished. And you've heard that Christian catchphrase, right? To be rooted and grounded in God's word. It's so important. It's so true. That's, this is the water right here. This is the, the water for us, the life for us. It's what we dig down into to find that uh, ability then from there to bear fruit and to provide for others even. It bears fruit over time. Um, 
in, it's in season, and maybe some pruning is needed over time. And undoubtedly, we will go through dry times in our walk, but that's the water. The water is the Bible. The Word of God's close by, and there was, you know, centuries that went by where there would be one Bible in the whole district, and it was locked away in a monastery, and you were left at the mercy of these guys, however they wanted to, to use it to manipulate. Well, we have these right here in our hand, and the internet full of options there for us to search up and do these word studies. I, I basically, as you can tell already from tonight, that I enjoy word studies because it really lends insight to how these things fit together. Um, so we have much uh, availability to the word, and so nevertheless, there we may find ourselves in dry times. We may find ourselves where it it's, takes effort to delight ourselves in the word, but we do, and we can pray, and we draw close to him. You know, um, Jeremiah 17, just on the, on the subject of water and trees. Um, if you want to flip over to Jeremiah 17, just going to read a little bit. These are some really precious verses. As much as um, uh, this is kind of a laid-back setting, you know, more than anything I would desire that as you see these verses, uh, you'd be able to apply them to your own heart towards the Lord. Uh, 17 verse, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 13. So thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when the heat comes. Uh, But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And as a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by right. I will leave him in the midst of his days, and at the end he will be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord who is what? Fountain of living waters. John 4, Gospel of John 4, um, verses 7 through 14, if you want to go there. This is the story we're all very familiar with. and um, Again, it's... uh, John's, uh, Dwight's been going through John, and he just did this. We all know this story well, but um, just 7 through 14. And it's interesting to see a little more about the water that we're talking about that the tree needs to go get. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me a drink? being, uh, being a Samar- uh, from a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, who, is, who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to him, her, Whoever drinks of this water will not thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, did I say never, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give to him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will, come, will become in him a fountain of water springing, uh, springing up into everlasting life. And so I wanted to just stop there rather than going on, but the idea, the point was now what's becoming of that water that we draw up into the tree where the tree 
we're like the tree planted by the water. Well, it's going to spring up from us. And now it's going to come up from us and it's going to flow out of us. And Jesus offers that living water. And it's Jesus who we call on um, and ask for that. And, and, you know, we're going to see here in a minute. Um, let's go over to John 7, a couple pages, a little bit more of exactly what's Jesus talking about, that water. John 7 and just verses 37 and 39, through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But, he, uh, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What is this water for us? What's going to flow up and out of us? It's the Holy Spirit. And so all we need to do is ask, right? How do we get the Holy Spirit? Is it by grunting and groaning and working? And do we have to be perfect and holy first and stop sinning every single day for, uh, for as long as it takes? Well, the truth is, uh, all we need to do is ask. And he is faithful. The Bible says, would he give us, uh, would any father give a son a stone or uh, instead of bread or give him a, a snake instead of an egg to eat? Well, how much more our father give us the Holy, his Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, we get through that and back to Psalm 1. And now we have a major contrast. Um, uh, you know, he shall uh, be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit and its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he does shall prosper. Nevertheless, or the contrast is not so. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Now chaff, compared to the fruit, compared to the leaf on the tree that we were talking to, we're contrasting all that. Well, what is chaff? It's weightless. If you've ever seen the hull, it's tasteless. The, the, the hull or the, the little coat around the, if you've been in, through a wheat field or you've seen chaff, um, when I was a kid, we used to, I grew up, my dad was a country preacher. I wasn't a farmer, but we hung out on the farms. And uh, you walk through the fields, and, and you can grab a handful, and just like we uh, see where Jesus did when he walked with his disciples. And you, you basically roll it in your hands like that. You've probably all seen it, probably all done it. But uh, it, it truly is nothing. It blows away. It, it just it actually compresses into dust or nothing in your hands. It's tasteless. It has no nutrition. It easily blows away. Well, these guys, the ungodly, are not so. They're not fruitful. They're not planted near the water. The ungodly are chaff. They're tasteless. There's no nutrition. They're easily blown away. And what does it say about it in verse 5? It says, uh, Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. You know, the word stand there is the same as we saw before. Now they can't stand. Now they can't be there. They can't stand in the judgment. There's no place for them there. You know, God will judge. Judgment will come. And um, in the last, we see that they do perish. And uh, sinners shall not stand in the congregation of the righteous. There's no place for them there. So where do we stand? And I want to take a little time just to, to encourage and, and affirm where it is that we stand. These guys can't stand in, in judgment are we going to be able to stand in the judgment? These guys can't stand. They're sinners. They can't stand uh, in the congregation of the righteous. Are we going to be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous? Um, let's go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, and we'll see how that's possible. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 and through 4. Uh, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I del delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. This is the Gospel. This is the 
Paul would say when he goes and, and people would be asking him and other guys would come and challenge him, I don't want to know anything among you except Christ crucified. You know, he, he was buried, uh, crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. Verse 5 through 11, Paul begins to say how the disciples and he himself are witnesses. And they all saw Jesus after the resurrection. Verses 12 through 19, without the resurrection, preaching is empty. Faith is futile and we're still in our sins. And there'll be no heaven for us. There'd be nothing. Um, all of this would be pitiful if there's no resurrection. In verses 20 through 56, and I'm summarizing, um, I'm not that necessarily going to be out of time. We might be done a little early, but it's a, it's a long stretch. Um, it says uh, through 20 through 56, but now the Lord reigns over his en- enemies. He's destroyed death and the power of the gra- grave and raises us with him, changed, incorruptible, glorified. Getting down to verse 55 through 58 in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. There's that word again. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, we stand in the hope of the resurrection and a new body. That's where we stand. These guys are standing in their stubbornness, in their rebellion, in the worldliness of it, the wisdom of the world. And so, verse 58 we're to be steadfast and unmoved. So that's where we're not going to move from. That's what we're encouraged to stand in. The ungodly, the sinners, the scornful, they want you to move in their direction. You know, they want you to walk in their counsel. They want you to listen. They want just come there little ways. You know, what's that Hegelian dialectic? Anybody ever heard of that? It's back in the this, you know, where where you don't need to win a guy all the way over to your side. You just need him to come a little ways toward you. You'll come a little, way, a little ways toward you. But then you don't move anymore. And they, they keep bringing the guy, bringing, trying to win that argument, trying to win that uh, discussion. And dry, I mean, it's, it's basically the, the strategy and it has won to this day in our society because they're compromising and continue to compromise the truth to the point where, you know, uh, there's there's... They just want you to walk and stand with them. They want you to be with them in arrogance and in mockery uh, to make fun. Everything from Darwinism to, to uh, you know, it's, it's the Lord that, that we are saved. We know that. He gets all the glory. Uh, in and of ourselves, we would go right that way. And we would easily be moved and pushed around. Um, but all that goes on, and, and talking about earlier the things that we go through, whether it's sickness or, or uh, you know, loss of loved ones or, or a breakup of families uh, or just being in situations, um, these things uh, should not move us um, from maybe, maybe we see ourselves as weak and truly we are. There's nothing to us. All the glory needs to go to the Lord for any good thing in us. Uh, but oftentimes uh, we feel like every single thing is pushing us to move, and all that we have is the knowledge of the Lord and, and uh, his faithfulness to us. And we may stumble, we may sin, we may make our mistakes, but truthfully, uh, the, the true gospel that Jesus is the Lord uh, and that he came and died for our sins, was buried and rose again, and was witnessed by many guys. Um, that's the true gospel. We can't move from that. We may make our mistakes, but that we can't move from that. We're not going to be moved from that. So despite that's, and that's truly what the, the ungodly and the sinners and the scornful want to do, and some of them are even in the church, that they will start to be, you know, maybe you can get away with living with the girl for a while, you know, before you, you know, marry or, you know, see if it's going to really work or something. I don't know what the excuse is. Before I got saved, I'm sure that it was my thinking, too, if uh, that would ever happen. But the thing of it is, uh, 
whatever the deception is, whatever the compromise is that, that comes into the church, uh, we're not going to be moved from the gospel, from who Jesus is. So verse 6, we have the two ways back in Psalm 1. Um, the two ways. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the godly shall perish. The Lord knows you. He knows who you are. He knows the way of his children. He also knows the way of the ungodly, and they will be judged. And so who are these righteous? And I wanted to take us through a few verses to kind of close up a little bit here, just to see what the scripture says, because in and of myself, I got no righteousness. Um, let's go to Psalm 32, just to read a couple of verses. And there's some more blessedness from the Lord. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit, so uh, in whom is no guile. You know, no deceit. Um, blessed is that man. Isaiah fifty four seventeen, and these all tie together. But I'd rather you read them for yourself than for me to just rattle them off. Uh, Isaiah fifty four seventeen. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So where are you getting your righteousness? You know, and, and are we going to be able to stand when weapons are formed against us? Well, praise the Lord, hallelujah, that uh, our righteousness is from him. Isaiah 61, a couple pages to the right. And this kind of ties into Psalm 1 a little bit. It's uh, verses 1 through 3. Spirit of the Lord is uh, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, oil for joy, or the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, planted by the Lord, that he may be glorified. It's the Lord who plants us, and he calls us trees of righteousness. Romans 3, that's on page 1018 in my Bible. Romans 3, just reading, um, and these are taken out of such a good context. It's hard to just grab these and, and not go into the details of the context. Um, but the Romans is known as the Gospel of, of Paul. And uh, it's such a good section here where we're discussing the law and, uh, you know, who's righteous, well, none are righteous, you know, all of sin and fall short. And so uh, Romans 3, verses 9 through 26. Well, what then, speaking of, of uh, those uh, ahead of, that he's talking about, that, uh, uh, who the, what the advantage of the Jew is or what the advantage of the circumcision is? It says, what then? Are we better than they? Well, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There are none who understand. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And uh, down to 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, 
and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so that's how we, how we understand that we are sinners. If it wasn't for the Ten Commandments, we'd probably think we were doing pretty good. Um, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all. How many is all? We've said it many times. All means all. To all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his own blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the, uh, the sins that were previously committed, to, de- to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where's our righteousness? It's in him. It comes from him. Uh, in, right, in his righteousness, we are justified, the righteousness of God to all who believe. One last passage I wanted to go through. First um, Corinthians, a couple more chapters to the right. First uh, Corinthians uh, 1, and that's just the last four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or 5. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world... um, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And all glory be to him. Amen. So hopefully this ties together uh, Psalm 1. There's so much there. And if we uh, continue to go through uh, Sunday, I hope to go through Psalm 2. Um, Psalm 2, if you want to read ahead, is, uh, um, I mean, starts off, why do the nations rage? And boy, we're seeing that today. So I think I would have never made that through. I was thought, thinking of doing two psalms tonight, but I would have never made it through those. So we're going to do Psalm 2 on Sunday, and if you want to read ahead, that'd be great. Why don't we stand, stretch our legs, and pray. Lord, it's your word, and um, we trust you to, to have it bear fruit in our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we just uh, ruminate on these things and um, through the rest of the evening, I pray that you would just bring these to remembrance. I pray that we could do these studies and take it home and, and look it up and see these things for ourselves, Lord. And I pray that you'd be able to minister to us, that we'd be able to minister to others. We, we desire that fruit that comes from being planted in, near living water. We desire your Holy Spirit, that living water in us, to be able to work through us and in us, um, to be able to bear fruit, to be able to provide for others, you know, and I pray there be healing, Lord, in our leaves. And uh, that you would just continue to cause us to grow in you until you come for us, Lord. And we do pray that you would come quickly. Lord, let us go out with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Sin. And so that's how we, how we understand that we are sinners. If it wasn't for the Ten Commandments, we'd probably think we were doing pretty good. Um, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all. How many is all? We've said it many times. All means all. To all and on all who believe. 
For there is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his own blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the, uh, the sins that were previously committed to, de- to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where's our righteousness? It's in him. It comes from him. Uh, in, right- in his righteousness we are justified, the righteousness of God to all who believe. One last passage I wanted to go through. Um, 1 Corinthians, a couple more chapters to the right. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, and that's just the last four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or 5. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world. um, And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That, as is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And all glory be to him. Amen. So hopefully this ties together uh, Psalm 1. There's so much there. And if we... uh, continue to go through uh, Sunday, I hope to go through Psalm 2. Um, Psalm 2, if you want to read ahead, is, uh, um, I mean, starts off, why do the nations rage? And boy, we're seeing that today. So I think I would have never made that through. I was thought, thinking of doing two Psalms tonight, but I would have never made it through those. So we're going to do Psalm 2 on Sunday, and if you want to read ahead, that'd be great. Why don't we stand, stretch our legs, and pray. Lord, it's your word, and... Um, we trust you to, to have it bear fruit in our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we just uh, ruminate on these things and um, through the rest of the evening, I pray that you would just bring these to remembrance. I pray that we could do these studies and take it home and, and look it up and see these things for ourselves, Lord. And I pray that you'd be able to minister to us, that we'd be able to minister to others. We, we desire that fruit that comes from being planted near living water. We desire your Holy Spirit, that living water in us, to be able to work through us and in us, um, to be able to bear fruit, to be able to provide for others. You know. And I pray there be healing, Lord, in our leaves, and um, that you would just continue to cause us to grow in you until you come for us, Lord. And we do pray that you would come quickly. Lord, let us go out with joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.